So good to see all of you. Um, for those of you wondering, um, uh, we prayed for pastor or bishop. Uh, we prayed for bishop on Sunday night. He was uh, having some pain due to a kidney stone. And it was like 10, 15 minutes after we prayed for him, he passed the stone. And so we give all glory to God for that. Um, unfortunately, tonight he's at home throwing up. So the hits keep on coming. Bishop, we love you. We hope you feel better. And um, he's, you know those weighted dowels that get knocked down but always pop back up? It's been the last year and a half for Bishop's health. I know there are a number of people who are out right now that have the flu, and um, I hate all sickness, uh, you know, regardless of what it's called, but the flu is one especially that I do not like. Um, the inner child in me comes out, and, you know, I need my mother. And so if, if you have the flu, you know, you can stay home, and there's, there's certain things that are better off not sharing. Um, I, will, I will add a statement to that comment because last time I made that comment that if you're sick, you know, you don't have to come. And then someone called me and was like, well, I, I saw somebody who was sick. Do you want me to stay home? And so this is only permitting to you if you're sick. If you see somebody or know somebody or heard of somebody who has sickness, you can still come to church. Uh, we welcome you. We want you to be here. Um, this is only if the, if the sickness hits you. You know, then you just stay home and you get better. Amen. All right, well, let's dive into our message tonight. It's a nice hard turn. Last, last two weeks, we've been uh, talking about the Lord's Prayer, and I, I hope uh, that, that you've enjoyed this, and uh, more than just enjoyed, uh, I hope this has been something you've been able to apply to your life and enhance your prayer uh, time. So let me just give a, a real quick um, synopsis of the last two weeks, and then we can, we can lean into tonight. So the disciples asked Jesus, Lord, teach us to pray, and we know the Lord's Prayer. And he, he started by saying, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. And so we talked about, uh, first of all, the importance of our approach when it comes to God, uh, that, that the way we view God when we call him our Father is we are saying we are your child. And, and as a result of that, there are some behaviors that should should be a part of how we approach him. We should approach him with faith. Um, we should approach him in humility and holy fear. Uh, we should approach him in honesty, and we should approach him with perseverance. And then when we go into our prayer time, we should always start uh, with praising God. He said, hallowed be your name. Holy is your name. Reverent is your name. And so before we ask him for anything, of course, we praise him for everything. And then last week, we talked about the next two verses in that, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, and that's a prayer of submission and, and surrender, uh, where we, like Jesus in the garden, say, not my will, uh, but thy will be done. That's where we, we seek to get in alignment with God, that as we go into this prayer time, we truly have the heart of God, and that we're not asking amiss because we're asking according to our will. And then the last verse we focused on was, give us this day our daily bread, and we talked about prayers of supplication or petition, and this is bringing our needs before God. And we talked about the importance of asking and specifically asking. And then also taking time to, uh, to walk through this time slowly. Because if you will, and if you get comfortable in this place, God will grow your supplication to a time of intercession. And he'll take you to deep depths uh, where the Spirit maketh intercession with groans that cannot be uttered. And it really, again, there, there's so many treasures that can be unlocked when you dive deep into the Word, and there's so many treasures that can be unlocked uh, when you lean into a relationship with Jesus. And so, as we've started the last two weeks, I wanted to start, before we get into the last verses in this, um, I wanted to give you some basics of prayer. And the first week, we talked about the basics of prayer from Jesus. Last week, we talked about the basics of prayer from Daniel. And tonight, I want to look at the basics of prayer from the devil. How many know that the devil prays? P-R-E-Y. The devil prays. 1 Peter 5, 8 says, be sober, be clear-headed, be vigilant, that's watchful, because your adversary, the devil, walks about like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. It is his desire to rob you of your effectiveness. He wants to do everything in his power to find Christians who are on fire for God, Christians who are hanging on by a thread, 
And he wants to steal your joy. He wants to steal that relationship. He wants to do whatever he can to create distance between you and God. The next verse says, resist him, stand against him, steadfast in faith, knowing that the same sufferings are experienced by your brotherhood in the world. Peter's saying, you're not, you're not the only one. All of us have a target on our back. Jesus would say this. He would say, the thief comes but to steal, to kill, and to destroy. Um, they're not new tactics. Culture changes, the world changes, but the enemy's tactics remain the same. And, and so we can expose him for who he is, and we can become privy that when things begin to happen in our life, that we identify those things and say, okay, I understand what's going on. Um, not sure if you've ever read it, but in C.S. Lewis's famous book, The Screwtape Letters, um, he, he, he puts this, this incredible story together of a senior demon uh, named Screwtape who writes letters to his young, uh, younger nephew, which his name is Wormwood. And he's, he's getting, giving him instruction. He's, he's trying to say, okay, I'm a seasoned in this. Here, here's how you need to approach. Uh, he calls him the patient or the, the individual. And, and he refers to God as the enemy. And so here's how we draw the patient away from our enemy. And, and in this, I was given a book uh, at Christmas time uh, on prayer from C.S. Lewis, and I was, I was reading through it. And uh, he gives four basics uh, that, that screw tape gives to Wormwood on how to deal with a praying Christian. And so let me share those with you. The, the first thing is this, and, and again, these are going to all, all, all be very obvious, but it's worth saying. The, the first thing is he wants to get you to avoid prayer altogether. In, in the little uh, in the book, Screw Tape says to Wormwood, he says, the best thing where it is possible is to keep the patient from serious intention of prayer altogether. Uh, understand, there's no greater threat to the kingdom of darkness than a Christian that prays. There's no greater threat to the kingdom of darkness than a mother or a father who prays for their children. There's no greater threat to the kingdom than a Christian who's praying for the lost. Because Jesus said, or James said, that the effective or the earnest prayer of a righteous man avails much. That there is power in prayer. And so we see this formula, if you will, that much prayer, much power. Little prayer, little power. No prayer, no power. And so when you're walking around and you're feeling weak, the first place you should go is how is my prayer life? If you're not praying and you're wondering why you're susceptible to every temptation that's going your way, you're wondering why every day is a bad day, you're wondering why your emotional state is just all over the map, that's the first place you need to start. And so we as Christians need to understand that prayer is so important. The enemy's goal is to keep you from your prayer closet and to keep you off your knees. The greater the wedge, the greater the doubt, the greater the disappointment, the better. Uh, because hopefully, it will keep you off your knees and away from God. Prayer, as we defined it uh, the first week, is, is at its very basic. It's communication with God. I, I like this. I said this last week, and it, it just stuck with me. If, if faith comes by hearing, then relationship comes by communicating, by, by talking. And, and so, we, we have to have that relationship with God. Jesus said it this way in Matthew 7 and 21. He said, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father in heaven. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name, cast out demons in your name, and done many wonders in your name? He, he said, and on that day, there are going to be people who are going to look at the outcome of what they have done, their, their Christian resume, uh, the things that they've accomplished for me. And they're going to remind me of their accomplishments. Lord, we did some pretty good things for you. We were a part of some pretty powerful prayer meetings. Lord, we even laid hands on the sick and they recovered. Uh, we prophesied. We were using the spiritual gifts. We, 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 we have history. And then he says this, and I'll declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. That, that word no, it's, this has been said before, but allow me to say it again. That, that word no does not speak of intellectual knowledge of God. It, it speaks of deep relational intimacy. It, it, the, the same no when it said that, that Mary knew not Joseph, 
And we know what it's referring to about the virgin conception. That is the same thing Jesus is saying about you. He's saying, I never knew you. But Jesus, you know the beginning from the end. You're, you're, you're all sufficient. You know everything. And he's saying, but I didn't know you. If, if you want to move your relationship with God, if you want to get to a place where, where heaven knows your name, it's going to come with prayer. It's not going to come with just showing up to church. It's not going to come with just doing your religious duty, but it's going to come through your knees. And so the enemy knows this, and so he tries to keep you away from that. The second thing is he wants to treat prayer as a test for God. Treat prayer as a test for God. Screwtape says this to Wormwood. He said, if the things he pray for doesn't happen, then that is one more proof that petitionary prayer doesn't work. It's, it's the goal of the enemy. What did, what did Satan say to Jesus in the wilderness? If you're the son of God, if you are who you say you are, command these stones to turn to bread. And the enemy wants us to approach Jesus the exact same way. If you are the God that you say you are, prove it. If you really are the God who loves me, prove it. That, that's how the Pharisees were. They said, show us a sign. And, and Jesus said, a, a wicked and adulterous generation seeks a sign. Those filled with doubt seek a sign. And, and that's not the way that we approach God. God doesn't need to prove himself to us. God doesn't have to show himself mighty just because uh, if he doesn't heal us, doesn't mean he's any less mighty. And, and so we need to make sure that we realize that his ways are higher than our ways. His thoughts are higher than our thoughts. And so the way he looks at things are not the way we look at things. And so he does not need to test or prove himself to us. The, the third thing that the enemy wants to do is he wants to focus on your own state of mind. Yeah, yeah let them pray, but make sure that they're focusing on their own state of mind. Screwtape said this. He said, there's nothing like suspense and anxiety for barricading a human mind against God. He wants men to be concerned with what they do our business is to keep them thinking about what will happen to them. You can weaken his prayer by diverting his attention from God to his own state of mind about God. On the other hand, fear becomes easier to master when the patient's mind is diverted from the things he fears to the fear itself. So fix his attention inward that he no longer looks beyond himself or to God or to his neighbor. It's the enemy's goal to get you so worried, so anxious, so fearful, so overwhelmed that you can't think of anything else but that. And I've been there. I've been in my prayer closet where I couldn't see past my own emotions. My emotions are clouded. It, it, it distorted the way I viewed God. It distracted me from the quality of prayer that I wanted to get to. It hindered me from praying his kingdom come and his will be done because all I could see was my issue. This happened, this happened to the Israelites with Goliath. Here, David comes on the scene, and the Israelites are, are fearful. A spirit of fear has fallen on them that they're hiding behind objects every time Goliath comes out and speaks. And David goes, is there not a cause? I, I saw the giant, but as soon as I saw the giant, I was reminded of the God who helped me defeat the lion and the bear. And so this giant is no different. And the enemy wants nothing more for you to become so fixed on fear and anxiety that when you come into the presence of God, you can't see God, that all you can see is your problem. And so you can't pray, your kingdom come. You can't pray, your will be done. That's why Paul said we need to cast down arguments in every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God. We need to bring every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ. That, that's why in your prayer time, you might need to pray the full armor of God. It's a, daily, it's a daily activity. Lord, I'm putting on the helmet of salvation today. Protect my mind. Protect me from the thoughts that the enemy would try to come at me. Lord, I'm putting on the breastplate of righteousness. I know my righteousness is as filthy rags before you, and you've imputed righteousness upon me, and so I, I step into that righteousness. Protect my heart. You said guard your heart, and so I want your righteousness to guard my heart. I'm going to put on uh, the belt of truth. That Lord, truth is the thing that holds everything together, and, and so I... I, I Proclaim the oneness of God and the gospel message. I pray that would hold everything. Your word is truth, so let it hold everything together. 
Lord, help me to have my feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace, that where I walk is stable. Help me to have the shield of faith, that as the enemy tries to throw fear and doubt and discouragement and distraction, that, that I have the shield and the word of God, which is the sword of the Spirit. Lord, help me to, to not say what I think, but what thus saith the Lord. Just as Jesus in the garden, every time the enemy would come, he would say, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. And so we need to arm ourselves so that we can get past the, 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 the strongholds that the enemy likes to put in our mind. The last thing is he wants you to believe you are not a very good Christian. He said this to Wormwood, you will say that these are very small sins and doubtless, like all young tempters, you are anxious to be able to report spectacular wickedness. But do remember the only thing that matters is the extent to which you separate the man from God. It does not matter how small the sins are, provided that their cumulative effort is to edge the man away from the light and out into the nothing. Then he said this, Indeed, the safest road to hell is the gradual one, the gentle slope, soft underfoot. It's not always the big things. Solomon said it's, it's, it's the small foxes that destroy the vine. It's the little distractions. It's the little offenses. It's the little issues, the little thoughts. The, you know, sometimes we have these, these excusable sins, the little ones. It's, it's okay if I overindulge. It's the little things. And the enemy is patient. He's subtle. He's tactic. But we're not ignorant to his devices. We know his devices. And so if he's going to try to prey on us, we're going to go into our prayer closet armed. And when distractions and when things come at us, we're going to know the source. And we're going to say, get thee behind me, Satan. That's how easy it is, brothers and sisters. You see, the thing that will happen is when heaven knows your name, hell also will know your name. And so the attacks will get stronger. But you just do the same thing. Submit to God, resist the devil, and he will flee. It's that simple, that no matter the attack, no matter the devil, no matter whatever he tries to throw at you, submit to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. And so let's get into the Lord's Prayer tonight. I know there are two final verses in this, but the reality is, is we're probably going to spend all of our time just in verse 12, because there's so much here to unpack, and then we'll spend a minute on verse 13. Matthew 6 and verse 12, he says, and this is just the first part, and forgive us our debts. This is a prayer of repentance. Jesus said, when you pray, you need to pray, forgive us our debts. So, so here's the reality, and, and this is to a seasoned group of saints like are in this audience. This isn't anything that's mind-blowing. But the reality is, is we're all sinners. Uh, Romans 3 and 23 says, all have sinned and have fallen short of the glory of God. And, and so the reality is, is no matter how long you've lived for God or how matter how short you've lived for God, without prejudice, we're all sinners. And the reality is, is you probably, you probably can't go a day without sinning. It's like the, the little boy who asked his dad, Dad, can we go a, a day without sinning? And he said, no, son, I don't think so. He said, well, what about, what about you know, a couple hours? And he said, no, son, I don't think it's possible for us to go a couple hours. And he said, well, what about an hour? And he said, no, son, I don't, I don't think it's possible for us to go an hour. He said, what about a minute? And his dad thought, and he said, I think we could go a minute. And he said, well, why don't we live minute by minute? And so the reality is, is we all fall short of the glory of God. And, and then the second part of that is the bigger issue, is that sin, that, that thing that we're going to do, it, it separates us from God. It, it proves to distance us. It, it, it's a gulf fixed that, that if we allow it to, is going to create distance from us and God. And it's going to get us to a place where we become numb to the things of God. Uh, scripture says that we sear our conscience with a hot iron. And where the things that used to cause us to, to be concerned, we don't get concerned over anymore. But the result of that is that we need to daily repent. Paul said, I 
simply put, I die daily. He said, within me, it dwells no good thing, and so I must die daily. This has always been the desire of God that humanity be in right standing with him. Uh, Peter would say he's not willing that any should perish in 2 Peter 3 and 9. Uh, he's not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. And so as a result, we see throughout the, 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 the span of time between the Old Testament and New Testament that whether prophet or preacher, the message has always been the same. They've been sharing notes, and the sermon has been repent. Let me tell you what I mean. In the Old Testament, Isaiah, Ezekiel, and Jeremiah spoke loudly to Israel, and they talked to them about forsaking their ways. You need, to, you need to distance yourself from your sin. Hosea and Joel encouraged the people to return to the Lord. Malachi and Zechariah spoke, returned to him, and they said, if you return to him, then he'll reciprocate and he'll return to you. And then the Old Testament closes and, and a new day dawns and, and we're looking at the horizon of a, the Messiah coming and the one who paves the way, he's preaching the same sermon. He's preaching, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And then Jesus comes on the scene and what does he preach? Repent and believe the gospel. And then Jesus teaches 12 individuals that he invests with. He says, go tarry in an upper room and you're going to be endued with power from on high. And then on the day of Pentecost, Peter stands up and he could preach anything, but he said, no, I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to use the tried and true notes. And they said, what do we do? And he says, repent, be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of your sins and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. And then Paul came on the scene, someone that didn't walk with Jesus and, and, and maybe he would have a different message, but, but not, not so. He, he speaks and says in Acts 17 and 30, truly these times of ignorance God overlooked, but now commands all men everywhere to repent. And so 2,000 years later, I stand up before you and the message hasn't changed. I'm stealing from them because those notes work. And so the call to this generation and to the next generation and to the generation after that is the same. It's repentance. That if we are going to move the needle, if we're going to make a difference in the kingdom of God, if we're going to get on hell's register and let them know we mean business, we have this sin issue that we have to take care of. And so anytime there, there was, a, a, anytime the judges would come on the scene and, and God would send a deliverer, there always was repentance. That was the, the, the impetus. That was the thing that, that spurned on God's response. And so the same thing is true today. Now understand something. I think sometimes maybe we misunderstand what repentance is. Repentance is not just an apology. R repentance is not a repetitive, insincere confession. Repentance is not just feeling overwhelmed and feeling guilty. It's not just pouring out a whole bunch of tears and, and, and because you cried. It's like the kid who, who does something wrong and they cry and they move the heart of their parent. Well, tears will come, but it's not just tears. And repentance is not just temporary behavior modification. It's not just saying, I'm never going to do that again, and then next week you go back into doing it. No, there's more to repentance. And so let's discuss, and, and I've kind of called this the recipe for repentance. And so uh, get out your chef's hats and your aprons and, and let's whip up some biblical repentance. So what does it look like? What does biblical repentance look like? I'm glad you asked me. The first component is call a call for help. A call for help. David said it this way. He said, search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my anxieties and see if there be any wicked ways in me. The, the reality is, is you are not able to see yourself in the state that you actually are. We talk about in leadership that leaders have blind spots, and a lot of times our blind spots live in the house with us. And you have a blind spot too. It's yourself. That's why you can see glaring things in other people. And what's glaringly obvious about them, you can't look in the mirror and see yourself. And sometimes the things that are glaringly obvious about other people are the things that you're dealing with in yourself. And so we can be deceived. Uh, scripture says the heart is deceitfully wicked above all things. And so we can't follow our heart. We can't listen to our heart. That old adage is, well, just follow your heart. No, that's, that, that's, that's terrible advice. Don't tell your children that. Don't tell your loved ones that because the heart is deceitfully wicked. It, it will lead you down a wrong path. And so 
We need God to reveal the true nature of our heart. We need God's help to reveal our motives. And so when we go into repentance, it's, it's starting with God. I'm going to repent about what I know, but there are things I know that are deep inside of me. I need you to bring those things to the surface. I'm not going to just pray blanket prayers. God, just forgive me. No, I want to, I want to confess my sins. And so, Lord, I need you to reveal the, the things that I've done that have grieved your heart, the, the, the things that have violated your law and your decree. And so would you bring them to my mind? And, and I'm sure you've been there as, as well as I have, where you've done that, and all of a sudden, he does it. it it's, it's amazing how when I was younger, I, I would think to myself, if I could just overcome this, I, I'm, I'm, I'm gonna get, Rico, I'm going to be one of the perfect Christians. And the moment I would, I would overcome an issue, it was like God would hit me with two more things that were wrong with me. And then I would be like, well, once I can get over these two things, I'm going to be doing good. And then I would get over those things. And I was like, my word, am I that bad of a person? And the reality, thank you, I am. (laughs) Keep preaching with me, sis, I appreciate that. And so the reality is we're all that way. And so there are things that are very obvious about yourself. And you know those things. You, you know the times you, you slip and, and say something you shouldn't. But the reality is, is there's probably like an iceberg, a whole bunch more that you don't realize. Things that you just instinctively do. Ways that you just instinctively act. You just instinctively did that, behaved that way. And you didn't even realize it. it's become muscle memory. It's become ingrained into the fabric of who you are. And so we need God to, to dig down deep and not just to pull what's above the surface, but to, to take it out by the root. And so I need him to show those things to me. The, the second thing we need to do is we need a change of mind. So we need him first to, to reveal. We need a call for help. And then we need a change of mind. 2 Corinthians 7 and 9 says, Now I rejoice, not that you were made sorry, but that your sorrow led to repentance, for you were made sorry in a godly manner, that you might suffer loss from us in nothing. For godly sorrow produces repentance, leading to salvation, not to be regretted, but the sorrow of the world produces death. And so understand that there is a very specific way that our mind needs to be changed. It's not just worldly sorrow. That was what happened to Judas. Judas had worldly sorrow. And, and he killed himself because the guilt and the condemnation that was from the enemy said that he would never get repentance, he would never get forgiveness, that God would never have mercy upon him. And so the only logical next step, worldly sorrow, is, is, is just being sorry because you got caught. Worldly sorrow is just regret. Shouldn't have done that. It's condemnation. It's guilt. But godly sorrow, it's an emotional heaviness it's, it's grieving over your sin. It's hating that sin because you understand that that, that sin is disgusting to God and, and it's, it's aligning yourself in a holy place where it's, I'm going to hate the thing that, that, that God hates and it becomes disgusting to you. But, but sorrow alone is not enough and so we can't just stop here. The, the next thing we need to do is we need to confess our sin. David said in Psalms 32, he said, when I refused to confess my sin, my body wasted away, and I groaned all the day long. Then in verse 5, he said, Finally, I confessed all my sins to you and stopped trying to hide my guilt. I said to myself, I will confess my rebellion to the Lord, and you forgave me. All my guilt is gone. Remember, you can't conceal anything from God, but you can withhold everything from him. And repentance, yeah, he knows you for who you are, but you still need to confess those things. First John says, but if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all of our unrighteousness. And so we need not to just say, God, show it to me, not to just feel bad about it, but then there needs to be a confession. But we can't just stop with confession. There also has to be a change of direction. That's the fourth part. Solomon said, people who conceal their sins will not prosper but if they confess and turn from them, they will receive mercy. True repentance, it means to change one's mind, but it also includes a complete change of the heart, of the attitude, of the interests, and of the direction. It's like, like has been revealed, when you're walking this way, repentance is, is, is turning 
I know we always used to say 180, but it's turning towards God. So wherever that is, it's, it's, I've been walking away from him. And, and so I'm, I'm going to not just say I'm sorry for this. I'm not going to just say, Lord, I'm, I'm sorry that I'm, I'm doing this and then, and then walk right back to do it. But I'm sorry I've I'm, I'm done it and I'm, I'm forsaking that lifestyle. And, and so what does that mean? If I'm viewing something that I shouldn't be viewing, true repentance is not just saying I'm sorry I've done that and I'm going to stop. But repentance also looks like I'm going to get an accountability partner and I'm going to put accountability software on my computer because I don't want to go back to this. I'm, I'm not going to just feel bad about it and, and throw my phone and say, I'm never going back. No, I'm going to do everything possible. I'm, if, if the line is here, I'm going to bring the line back here so that I don't even get close to it. If it's if maybe you're speaking in a way that does not glorify God, yeah, I'm going to repent, but I'm going to stop. And that means I'm also going to remove myself from the conversation. That means also when I get into situations and things are being said, that I'm not going to just be a silent observer because by being a silent observer, I'm feeding along with it. But I'm saying, hey, listen, let's not talk this way. If I'm struggling with addiction, I'm going to go to a recovery group. I'm going to get someone to partner with me. I'm going to eliminate secrets. So, so understand, repentance is more than just a personal thing. A lot of times it involves bringing someone alongside of you and saying, listen, I, I need help. I need to get out of this mess. And so I'm going to do everything in my power, not to just verbally confess it, but I want to forsake it. And so forsaking it means I'm going to do everything in my power not to make, you know, they, they say that in our brain there's neuroplasticity. And, and what that is, is it's like uh, when the snow happens and you make tracks in the snow, right? If you continue to go uh, in, to the shed, you're, you're going to make, uh, you're going to trod down the snow and it's going to make it so it's easy to get to there. And so when I change my behavior, I need to get new footprints in the snow. I need to make a new path. And so to get a new path, I have to abandon the old path. I have to take a new direction. I have to go someplace different. I have to have a different behavior, a different... And so that might mean you might need to disconnect yourself from media altogether. That might mean that you need to get... Netflix and Amazon Prime and all these things off your queue because just going to that place reminds you of this, which leads to this, which goes. To so let's just let's just get rid of the path. I'm, I'm not going to step foot in the bar, but I'm also going to take a different direction so I don't drive past the bar. I'm going to make it very hard. And so this is what repentance looks like. It's it's abandonment of lifestyle, change of direction, closing doors. It's sending the message. I'm never going back. And he said, you need to pray, forgive us our debts. But then he continues. He says, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. There, there are 11 words in this text, but only one of them is important for our purposes. And it's a little word, the little word as. Everything hangs on the meaning of that word. As is a conjunction that joins the first half of the petition with the second half. He said, forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Well, I'm going to ask that he forgives me, but I, I have no desire to forgive them. It's like the wicked servant that he goes to his master and he has a large debt. Jesus tells the story and, and he says, I, I can't pay this debt. And so his master says, I'll forgive you of it. And so he having been forgiven of this debt, goes to his servant who owes significantly less and has the same conversation, but instead of showing mercy, he throws him in jail. And, and this master hears about it and says, no, you didn't. Get back here. Now you're going. And, and so that's how it is. If, if you're going to try to seek forgiveness from God, but yet you're not going to forgive your brother and sister, there's, there's, there's a small word in there that, that you have to understand when you pray, forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors, we're asking God to forgive our sins according to the same standard we have used in forgiving the sins of others. That's what that means, okay? And so if I'm going to say, God, forgive me, I'm saying, this is the way you forgive me, God. And it's biblical. Jesus said later on in the verse, he said, for if you give men their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you don't forgive men their trespasses, Neither will your father forgive your trespasses. 
And so all at once, our forgiveness to others becomes, well, you don't understand what they did to me. You, you don't understand how they wronged me. Well, well according to the word of God, you've you got to work through it. And so let's talk about this. Let's talk about offenses. Jesus said earlier, he said, therefore, if you bring your gift to the altar and, these, and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar and go your way. First be reconciled unto your brother. He said, so, so if you're coming down to repent after, after a, a, a Sunday like we had last Sunday where the power of God moves and, and you come down here and you're going to pour out your heart to God, but then in a minute you remember, well, I have an issue with Tom. He said, before you talk with me, you go talk to Tom. And you guys be reconciled. Leave, leave your gifts. And, and I'm afraid sometimes that there's an altar filled with gifts because we refuse to go and reconcile ourselves. And so let's talk about offense. I think there's some basics that we need to, to first wrestle with when it comes to offenses. And the first is, is very simple and very obvious, but it's also the reality of our situation and our story, and that's this. Offenses will come. Offenses will come. Jesus said to his disciples in Luke 17, verse 1, he said, it's impossible that no offenses should come, but woe to him through whom they do come. He said, it's an impossible for you to go through life and not to have moments where offenses can come. But woe to the person who they do come and he just accepts them. That word offense, it comes from the Greek, a Greek word. It doesn't matter what the Greek word is. Well, scandalon. Thank you. Originally referring to the part of a trap in which the bait is attached. Hence, an offense is a trap or it's a snare. Offenses cause people to stumble and they trap us. And, and when we start looking at, at offenses, I think there's probably different categories we could throw offenses into. But for the sake of tonight, I, I think there are two general type of offenses. There are real offenses. These are actual violations or harm or transgressions committed by someone else to us. So they're real issues that happen where somebody said something to you. Uh, they, they were intentionally rude. They, they intentionally transgressed you. But then, what you see more today in our snowflake generation is perceived offense. It's, it's based off of someone's subjective interpretation or feeling. I feel like you were trying to attack me. Well, I wasn't. But it just felt that way. You know, pastor kept looking at me while he was preaching tonight. What do you think he's trying to say? Sister Melissa said, yeah, when I was talking about being a bad person. I'm sure that just means she doesn't like me. And you see how we can get trapped in our mind and we can try start, start making something out of nothing. The, the problem with a perceived offense is that it often feels like a legitimate offense and it triggers many of the same emotions and natural responses associated with a real offense. And, and Jesus said that, that one of the signs of the end times, one of the signs that he was coming back, in Matthew 24.10, he said, many will be offended and they'll betray one another and they'll hate one another. And I don't think he's just talking about the world he was talking about the church, that within the body of Christ, if you, look, if you look throughout the epistles that Paul writes, one of the biggest issues he's constantly addressing is division in the church, Jews versus Gentiles, all these issues that are arising up that are trying to divide. And we understand really quickly, this is our second point, that offenses are a device of Satan. They're going to come, but we have to identify the source. 2 Corinthians 2 and 10 says, Now, whom you forgive anything, I also forgive. For if indeed I have forgiven anything, I have forgiven that one for your sakes and the presence of Christ. Then it says, Lest Satan should take advantage of us, for we are not ignorant of his devices. Paul calls offenses a device of Satan. It's one of his principal tactics. For, for separating men and women in the body of Christ. 
But one of the reasons we're so vulnerable to this tactic is it, that it often feels less like a satanic attack and more like an attack from another person. But again, we're not ignorant to his devices. Remember what, what Paul also said. He said, we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers, against rulers, against spiritual wickedness in high places. And so you have to understand that as you go through life and as you get involved with people and things are said, that it's not always the flesh and blood. That's the source. And so we ourselves have to make sure that we're not so sensitive that everything that's said causes us to crumble and fall. The last point, and then we'll move on to how we respond to offenses, but the last point is offenses can divide and destroy relationships. Proverbs 18:19 says, A brother offended is harder to win than a strong city, and contentions are like bars of a castle. And we know this. This is, this is obvious, that, that offenses, we've seen, you, I'm sure as I'm talking, can think of moments and you can think of, of relationships you've had where the other person became offended and it, and it severed relationships. I remember time and time again of, of working in banks and, and, and a mother or a father passing away and getting calls. I'm sure you did as well, getting calls from the children. How can we work this out? Work what out? Well, I don't really care to see my brother or my sister, but I know there's some money coming my way. So do I have to be in the same room with them? And there are people who go years, who, who write people off because of something that happened. And, and, and for some, it's so long ago they can't even remember, but they just remember we don't talk with this person. We don't go to this person. And so how should we as Christians respond to offense? Well, let's get radical, okay? We want to be kingdom-minded, amen? This is, understand, this is why we pay, pray first, your kingdom come, your will be done. Because if we get to this part in the prayer, you might say, why did Jesus wait to this part for us to, 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 to ask for forgiveness? Because if you're not kingdom-minded, if you're in your will, it's going to be hard when you get into this place. I need the mind of Christ here. I need God's help here. And so what is the first thing we do? The first, first thing that we need to do is we need to forgive the offense. Jesus said, these aren't David's words, these are Jesus' words. He said, take heed in Luke 17 to yourselves. If your brother sins against you, rebuke him. And if he repents, forgive him. And if he sins against you seven times in a day, and seven times in a day returns to you saying, I repent, you shall forgive him. But Jesus, you, you certainly don't understand what they did to me. <laughs> Like, there, there, has to be, there has to be some fine print in the scripture because if I could explain to you how they offended me, certainly you would understand. And Jesus said, listen, seven times in a day. All right, all right, so, so this joker keeps coming back, right? He, like, he, he, he's bad at not only repenting because no sooner does he repent, he's transgressing again, but he keeps coming back. And as he keeps coming back, it's not your job to dry up the well. You just keep giving it out. So we... We need to forgive the offense. The second thing we need to do, and these two go hand in hand, I'm convinced, is we need to pray for the offender. You know what I've realized in my walk with God? This, this is one that, that, that I really want to share with you. There's a, a number of things I've learned. But I've learned that it's hard to stay offended at someone I'm praying for. I, I tell you what, that, like you, I've been wronged, and I've had people say things about me, and I've had people spread lies and accusations. And, and, and there's been moments in my life where we've had points where we've reconciled, but it still was fresh. And with, without fail, every time when I add that person to my prayer list and I begin to pray blessings over their life, and I begin to say, God, you know this person. I pray you'd bless them today. You know what they're going through, God. I pray you'd help them. It's incredible how when I see that person next, I don't try to walk the, the opposite way. I don't keep my head down. I can walk to that person and sincerely, not, not fake. It doesn't, doesn't mean I've forgotten what has happened. But I can look at them with the love of Christ. Prayer has something so powerful. And Jesus exemplified this on the cross. Listen, the, 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 the holes hadn't healed. <laughs> He's hanging by the nails. 
He's feeling the stripes upon his back. He, he's, he's trying to agonizely, agonizely take a breath. And with the breaths he has, he says, Father, forgive them. Has it been that bad for you? Jesus, in a moment where we would have been, that would have been the last thing on our minds. Jesus made sure that everyone heard him say, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Number three, if possible, and I would even say if needed, we need to seek reconciliation. You can read Matthew 18, 15 through 17 on your own time. But it, it takes one to forgive, it takes two to reconcile. And, and so forgiveness can be given in an instant. Reconciliation is both parties sitting down. Now, now I, I want to say some things because without fail, when we talk about offenses, there's always that yeah, but statement. And, and so let me just qualify some things. Reconciliation and forgiveness does not mean, and I should have put this in your notes, but I didn't. Reconciliation and forgiveness does not mean that trust is immediately restored. Okay? So what are you saying? And I've had conversations like this. I, I've forgiven them, now I have to just let them back and give them carton. No, 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 that's not what I'm saying. Just because you've forgiven. See, but you can provide opportunity for trust to be rebuilt. And that might take time. That usually does take time. And with time, if you allow that opportunity to that person to regain your trust, it can be rebuilt. And that's why marriages can have serious issues take place, moral failings. And, and, and you can see that, that, that couple 20 years, and they're stronger than they've ever been because there was opportunity for trust to be rebuilt. The, the second thing is things you might think that things need to go back to the way they were. Um, there's a, a man I, I, I like to listen to occasionally. On uh, uh, he, He's a part of the Dave Ramsey team. His name is John Deloney. And he'll say to spouses that will talk about past issues, um, and they'll say, I, I want to go back to the way it was. He'll say, that's blown up. There's no going back to that. But you can recreate something. And so... The reality is, is when forgiveness is leveled, we may not go back to the way things were because that, that, that idea of what was before the offense has been kind of shattered, but we can rebuild something. And again, that takes time. Reconciliation forgiveness does not mean that emotional scars and memories are immediately healed. But again, with time and prayer, God can heal them. And so as you lean into this, you, you may still feel the scars, and you still may feel the wounds, and you might still hear the words in your head. But if you take those things to God, you can cast your cares upon him, for he cares for you. If you've heard my, my father's story, which many of you have if you've attended this church, he says something that always, that always just stuns me. He says, and he's told me many times privately, he says, David, a lot of times I tell that story, and I don't, I don't understand that person because God has healed me so much. He said, I used to not be able to tell that story. Now I can tell that story. And he said, a lot of times, it feels like I'm telling somebody else's story. That's what healing looks like. That's what happens when forgiveness is leveled and you bring your wounds to God and you say, God, I can't do this on my own. He will heal them. And then the last thing is avoid gossip and seek to cover the offense. What do I mean by that? Solomon said, without wood, a fire goes out, and without gossip, a quarrel dies down. If you've forgiven somebody, you don't need to bring it up every time you have an argument. Again, it doesn't mean you've forgotten it. You just don't need to relive it. You don't need to bring everyone else into your saga. Again, we don't need to choose to be a victim we can, we can offer forgiveness and pray and become a victor. A victim, what does a victim do? A victim constantly wants to relive the story. And so every time, it was like, it was like the neighbor. I remember the neighbor a uh, number of years ago. I, I accidentally cut down his prized possession. It was a little tree. I didn't realize it had CDs hanging from it. I should have known. And he was so hurt by the fact that I cut down that tree. He thought I intentionally did it. And, and I remember 
days that would pass, and he would, Ron would be out there pointing to everyone who came by at the tree that was, and then he would point to my house, point to the tree, point to my house. Everybody knew that David got a chainsaw for a day and ruined Ron's life. But we don't have to be that way. We don't have to, every time that person walks in, let me tell you what they did to me. Yeah, we all have scars, and, and that's what makes the body of Christ what it is, but we don't have to, to, to share war stories. We can take those things to Jesus, as David often did. David would, wouldn't, wouldn't cast his cares on a fellow soldier. No, he, he took it right to the source, the source of where healing came from, the source of where his forgiveness came from. Amen. Why don't you stand with me? The last portion is, do not lead us into temptation but deliver us from the evil one. That's direction and protection. That's, that's where we pray, Lord, uh, I need you to help me not enter into temptation. And then he said, for thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. That's ending with worship and thanksgiving. If, if, you, if you begin to, to pray each of these sections five minutes a day, you've, you'll find no, time, or no, no problem praying for an hour. And so walk through each of these sections. Again, I apologize. I didn't go through the last two with more time, but those are a little more self-explanatory. But let's commit this year to not just talking about prayer, but being people of prayer. That it's something that we lean into and that we practice and we protect. Amen? Would you bow your head and pray with me? Lord Jesus, I thank you so much for, uh, Lord, these last three weeks. Lord, these weren't my words. These were your words. And Lord, just as powerful as they were the day you shared it with all those in your hearing. They're just as powerful today that you've given us a pattern that we can pray. You've given us a pattern, an effective pattern where we can approach you. Lord, and so I pray that you would help each person in this room, that you would, God, help us to become men and women of prayer, or that we would eliminate excuses, eliminate distractions, and that consistently we would come into your presence so that we can become more like you. God, I pray, Lord, as, as we talked of offenses, if there are any in this room, Lord, who have held on to offenses, Lord, wounds that have been cut in their hearts and in their minds and in their bodies, Lord, maybe weeks or months or years ago, God, I pray that you would help us, Lord, to deal with these things, Lord. I pray that we would know that we can bring these to you, God, and that we can offer forgiveness and we can find the healing and the restoration and the reconciliation that you would have for us. Would you help us today to, to be biblically minded in our actions and in our attitude, God, so that we can glorify you. We all want to hear, well done, good and faithful servant. Lord, and so I pray you'd help us today. In the name of Jesus, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Lord bless you all. Hope you have a wonderful night. We'll see you back here on Friday if you're a man and uh, Sunday if you're a family. So Lord bless you.